In episode 432 with Tori DeVito, we talk all about her life as a big-time actress, how she stays grounded, her spiritual journey, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because we have the beautiful Tori on and she shares very openly about her struggles with her inner critic. We talk about forgiveness, her spiritual journey, life as a big time actress, her philanthropic work, and so much more. And for those of you that have never heard of Tori, she is a conscious actress, advocate, philanthropist, producer, and she recently wrapped her incredible six-season run on the NBC drama Chicago Med, playing Natalie Manning. Outside of her acting work, her mission is to grant access and bring knowledge of wellness, spirituality, and philanthropy to as many people as possible. She is a yogi, Certified in Reiki and the Akashic Records, she applies transcendental meditation to her daily routine, consistently works with an energy healer, and has a passion for crystal healing and astrology. Outside of her spiritual interests, Tori also brings an extra level of consciousness to all aspects of her holistic lifestyle. As an advocate for women's safety, health, and rights, she is working on the board of directors with Safe Bear. She's also cycled through veganism and vegetarianism for the past 13 years, and she's an advocate for animals and regularly supports organizations such as PETA and the Humane Society of the United States and Paws Adoption in Chicago. When it comes to her beauty and fashion routine, Tori makes sure she uses cruelty-free makeup and wears vegan materials. She also tries her best to shop sustainably and live an eco-conscious life. She even requires her hair and makeup artists on set to use cruelty-free products. And on the acting front, you may recognize her from Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, One Tree Hill, Scrubs, Dawson's Creek, The King of Queens, and so many more TV shows and films. And up next, you can see Tori in the film, The Christmas Promise. This conversation is so beautiful. She is such a sweetheart so full of wisdom and knowledge. So let's dive right in. Beautiful Tori, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, oh no. That's actually a little bit embarrassing because I'm here right now in Rhode Island. I'm board of directors with this organization called Safe Bay, and we are going to eight different schools in three days to talk about sexual consent and sexual assault. And so we are on the go. And we were in between two things. And I said to my friend, Shale, who I'm here with, I said, I am so hungry. If we don't get something to eat, we are tipping into a bad place for me. And the only thing close was Panera. And I was like, you know what? I 
try to be vegan as much as possible. And I am a strict vegetarian for the last, I'd say almost 15 years. But I was like, you know what? If I'm here, I'm going to go hard. I'm going to get exactly what I used to get in high school. And I got broccoli cheddar soup in a bread bowl with the apple Fuji salad with no chicken with the Asian dressing instead of the regular dressing. And I just went for it. I was like, cheese it up. My stomach hates me right now. (laughs) And the most important thing, did you enjoy every second of it? I did. And you know what I have learned in my life? That it's not so much sometimes when you have those moments where you cheat and you do something that you, you know, don't want to do. You're like, shoot, I've been so good. I want to be full-time vegan and I just messed up. It's actually the mental strain you put on yourself after you eat like that. That's worse, I think, for you than having those moments where you just go, you know what? I did the best that I could in that moment. I'll do better next time. I'm going to have fun with that and let it go. It's like that mental thing in your head that is so exhausting that goes, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. Blah, 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 blah. You're like, shh, stop it. A hundred percent. I call that inner voice, the inner mean girl, the one that says, you shouldn't have done that. And that horrible, toxic, negative voice that we all have, that I call the inner mean girl. She is. She is. And she needs to take a seat sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I saw something the other day and it was so poignant and it was so simple. And it's just such a great reminder. It said, treat yourself the way you would treat someone you love. And I'm like, that is so simple. And we all know that, but we don't do it. And to really think of yourself as your best friend, like pretend that I'm in my head, like, oh, I'm talking to my best friend right now. Your day goes so much better because you're so much kinder. Yeah, absolutely. Treat yourself the way you would treat your best friend. It's such a simple thing to remember, but it makes such a difference. Because honestly, a lot of us, we would never speak to our best friend the way that we speak to ourselves. No, not at all. Not at all. Never. I don't know who I would speak to sometimes the way I speak to myself. And you are an actress. You have grown up in this world. You are a violinist. You have grown up in that world. So how have you made peace with your inner critic? Because I used to be a professional dancer and I did acting and TV presenting. And my inner critic was very mean to me. And she would say, I'm not skinny enough and I'm not pretty enough. And you didn't get that job because of X, Y, and Z. So how have you over the years mastered that voice in inside your head so that it doesn't tear you down. Yeah. I don't think I have mastered it, but where I think it's just gotten to a different and better level. I think one thing is I'm really good sometimes at tricking myself. And whenever I start beating myself up, there's two places I go to. If I'm like, oh shoot, you know, what normally triggers it, honestly, scrolling through Instagram, right? You see all these other women and you're like, oh man, I don't look like that in a bathing suit, especially not right now. Oh no, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. And then I think to myself, wait a second, from a very young age, I said to myself, I am an actor. I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm not a fitness guru. I'm not trying to be a model. I am an actor. And therefore, I want people, unless I'm playing a superhero, then I will get training for it. But, you know, most recently I played a doctor for six years and I made a point of wanting to make her as relatable as possible. You know, she didn't have time to go to the gym six times a week. You know, she didn't have time to get manicures and all these things. So I'm like, I want 
to be relatable to the audience. I don't want the audience to see this character that should be an everyday woman who's a single mother, this and that, who is in the best shape of her life. You know what I mean? It just didn't make sense. So that really helped keep me level of like, you know, I want to age naturally. I want to be relatable. And then on the flip side of that, I read that book, Women Who Run With The Wolves. And the one best thing I took from it was this one section about your body. And basically to sum it up, I'm going to totally butcher what it actually said, but it said, your body is your lineage. It's your ancestry. And if I don't like a part of my body, it's me telling the women before me and after me that I don't like their body either. And you would never look at your daughter and say, I don't like your body, your grandmother. I don't like your body. And you know, as I got older, like my arms have kind of changed and I was like, do I have cellulite on my arms now? (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God. And then I'm like, oh my God, I have my grandma's Italian arms. Like, I love that. Thank you, grandma. Like you're here with me. You know what I mean? So that has definitely helped that inner critic, like just changing that the new place I'm in, which is very interesting, and I'm not sure if you have children or not. I don't, and I do want children. I've always wanted children. I'm in this new place where I gained a little weight over COVID, which is fine. Everybody did, most people. And I've been in this place. I'm like, I'm 37. I feel like I don't have the right to not fit in my clothes because I haven't had children. It's like women with children have more of a right to me to be like a little out of shape. It's like, well, you gave birth. That makes sense. What's my excuse? And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? That is very abusive to yourself. Why would you think like that? So working on that one currently. (laughs) Wow, babe. Thank you for sharing that because I can hear so many people agreeing and nodding just listening to what you shared. So thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable and honest with us because I just wrote another book that's out called Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy. And there's a whole chapter on body comparison and another whole chapter on social media because you mentioned social media before and that's an area where you compare yourself a lot and it's where a lot of us do. And body image is a really big one for a lot of us. I think it is social conditioning, you know, this whole You don't have the right to have put on weight because you haven't had a child. Like this is all just what the media and social media and society, they paint these pictures and it's unhealthy. And we need to become aware of this internal dialogue that is going on in our mind so that we can change it. And yes, I have a daughter. I recently gave birth. She's about seven months at the time of recording this. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And, you know, now more than ever, I am so so conscious of my dialogue around my body. And same with my husband. We are even more aware of what comes out of our mouth and even the thoughts that we're thinking because she is listening and she feels everything, everything that comes out of our mouth. So it's really important I would love to hear though, you know, you have done so much in your acting career, Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, One Tree Hill, Chicago Med, like you've done so many amazing things. And you're also a very successful violinist and you produce short films. You have 1 million eyes following you on Instagram. How has it affected you and your everyday life? You know, this pressure to look a certain way or to be a certain size. 
How has that affected you over the years? And were there times where it was more challenging, like say maybe in your early 20s or something like that? Yeah, I think where it's affected me the most is feeling like I don't have a clear view, feeling like I may be the only one in my confidence of myself. And what I mean by that is like recently, let's say, added a little extra weight and and then feeling like, but you know what? I feel like I still look good. So who cares? And then being like, well, maybe I'm not seeing myself right. Maybe everyone's like, oh, she shouldn't be that confident. Like that, because there are so many people watching, it's like, have they noticed? Do they care? Do they think I'm delusional for just like walking around confidently? That sometimes is what I really, and then I go, why do I care what other people think? That is the crux of the problem. But yeah, it's funny. I think that I grew up in a house where food was very important. My father is full Italian. He loves eating. I love eating. So I do feel very blessed in the fact that that hasn't been a huge weight on my shoulders. I remember when I started modeling when I was 15 and I could tell that you know, I still had a little baby fat. I just didn't look like the other girls. And I remember being okay with that and being like, I don't really want to do this anyways. So luckily my family kind of always gave me a good head on my shoulders about food, but I have definitely had my moments. I mean, I actually had a really embarrassing story. It was recently. So my last year of filming Chicago Med last year, it was we had been in the pandemic and I came back and I had to go up a scrub size for my scrubs. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never been this size before. Oh my gosh, like this is, how do I feel about this? I don't know. And I had one of those really horrible days and I went into my trailer And I got on the phone with my mom and I was just being like a total brat to myself. I was like, mom, I feel so horrible and I feel so fat. And I literally said to her, I go, every time I walk, I feel like my stomach's even jiggling. And then I get this knock on my door and Set was like, oh my gosh, Tori, I'm so sorry. Your mic is still connected to the inside of the surgery room. (laughs) Everyone can hear everything you're saying. And I was like, oh my my God. (laughs) Oh my God. And I'm actually really good friends with the sound guy, Kevin. He is an amazing guy. He was mortified. He felt so bad. And I had to just laugh it off. I was like, it really actually, I was grateful. It took me a while to be grateful for it. But I was grateful for that moment because it really snapped me out of how ridiculous I was being. I was like, if you were writing a script and we're trying to write a ridiculous self-absorbed actress, even writing how I was behaving and how I was talking to my mother, people would be like, no, that's too much. It's not believable. <laughs> like it was so silly. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to just like let this go. So I really, I go on and on and I, you know, watch things I've done before and I'll be like, oh, I look so bad on TV. The way the can, the light hits my face and blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, my boyfriend would be like, you are so hard on yourself. And I think I don't think I'm very hard on myself comparatively to a lot of people in the industry I know. And it'll snap me out of it too. And I'll go, wow, I guess I am really hard on myself. You know, like every time I take a picture with him, I'm like, I'm not very photogenic. And he's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, wow, these are just like, I don't even think of those as saying bad things to myself. I just think of them as like things I say. And I'm like, man, like it it takes a lot to, to keep a good head on your shoulders, especially in this industry. That's for sure. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And thank you again for your honesty. That's that's the best story. I remember when I was doing some acting work, I went to the toilet with my mic still on. Oh, no. And thank goodness I only had to do a number one, but yes. the whole sound crew heard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you always have to check your mic. And I've been doing this for 20 years. I should have known. But for whatever reason, I didn't check my mic. And oh, my God, that was probably one of the most embarrassing moments I've had on set to date. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And apart from your incredible acting career that you've had, you also are so passionate about cruelty-free living and sustainable fashion and yoga and Reiki and Akashic records and transcendental meditation and crystal healing and astrology. And when I was doing all my research on you, I was like, is she talking about me? Like, are we the (laughs) same person here? Because we have so many interests that are similar and I'm so excited to dive into them. Have these modalities really helped you stay level-headed during your acting career? Absolutely, because I think the main thing that all these things do, like no matter what I'm into, more so in the moment versus others, the common thread that they all have is connecting me to something so much bigger than myself and going, this actually isn't even real. This actually does not matter. What matters is what was the love that was given and received here? That is what's real and that's what matters. Everything else is just human ego, human BS, and all a part of fear, really. And so that always keeps me grounded. I'm a huge fan and student of The Course of Miracles. And the first thing that attracted me to it when I opened the book and I saw where it said, nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. I was like, yes. And I remind myself of that daily. Whenever I get insecure, I say that. And it just like, whoop, like brings me back down to reality. Mm, absolutely. And what led you to explore A Course in Miracles and transcendental meditation and yoga and Reiki? Was there something that happened in your life that put you on that path? Or was it more an undercurrent through your whole childhood? It was really an undercurrent through my childhood. I grew up going to Baptist church. And then as a teenager, my mom and dad took us to non-denominational church. And for me personally, and no knock on it, because whatever works for you works for you. For me personally, organized religion was a really hard one for me to wrap my head around because I had so many questions and I could never find any answers. And that, I think at a very young age, sent me on a quest to find, okay, well, what does work for me? And so I didn't really know what that meant. Like, I think as like a seven-year-old, I'm like into like Greek mythology. I'm like, ooh, maybe it's this. Like, I didn't know anything. And, you know, then I was like really into like ghosts and spirits and angels. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's something otherworldly. Like, I, I just had no idea what I was doing. But that's the part of being exploring and being a child. But then when I moved out of my house and I moved to L.A. when I was 18, is when these things kind of started opening up to me. And I think the first thing that opened up to me, well, actually I dated someone when I was 21 who was a yoga instructor and I was not ready for yoga because he would try to teach me yoga and it would bring so much anger inside of me. And when he would tell me that that was the reason I was doing it, I like felt like I wanted to punch something. I was like, nah, I don't want this. I like had all this angst and we're actually still friends. So it's funny 
but that kind of, I think, opened the door. That was my first view. And then I started like exploring things more and more. And then I really got into TM. I met this teacher and I took his course. His name was Light Watkins in Venice, California. And I was like, this is amazing. And then again, I took this and I was like, oh, I'm a meditator now. And after the weekend, I was feeling so lit up. I go to meditate and every noise was like a bomb going off in my head. I was like, I was like, why are you speaking? Be quiet. I'm trying to meditate. Doesn't everybody know I'm trying to meditate? I can't focus. And I was like, oh my God, why do all these things bring up so much angst inside of me? And then slowly learning, like that's what spiritual work does. Everybody thinks that you find this work and you're like, ah, I'm a meditator now. Ah, I do yoga. And like, no, when you ask the universe to heal something, it will bring up every mind trap (laughs) and bomb you have to associate with that until it's healed. And anyways, yeah, so I got into that. And then I met this beautiful energy worker teacher, Janet Raftis, probably in my early 30s. And she opened my world to everything like Reiki. And she taught me how to read tarot cards. And I've done so many healings with her. She's based out of Atlanta. And I'm just like, she is just a staple in my life. I just love her. And then I found A Course in Miracles. And that to me was kind of like, almost like the the capping out of everything. Because I, I loved all this work, but The Course in Miracles did something to really ground me. You know, I felt like sometimes I'd get so <laughs> head up in the clouds, like I'm filled with air. I'm a Gemini. I have so much Gemini in my chart. It's very like air driven. I'm always like, woo. And I'm just heady and I just want to talk about everything. And like the Course in Miracles did something where it just like kind of takes me out of my body and it just grounds me. And so I learned that I don't have to be an expert at all these things. And I learned that my body is the best vessel. So wherever I am and whatever I need, whether it's meditation in that moment or a crystal in my pocket or my Course in Miracles that day or, you know, whatever. It's like I have it and I can pick and choose and blend it. And so I've kind of, I feel like, (laughs) created like my own institute of spirituality and my own church really for myself, which has been cool. Oh, I love that. And how do you incorporate tarot and astrology into your everyday life now? You know, it's so funny. So with tarot, I used to carry tarot cards with me every day. And for the last couple months, since I've been doing the Course in Miracles, I've stopped because I'm on day 60 and I've been doing the, they have the lesson. It's every day for 365 days, 365 days. And I've been doing that. And I've been so laser focused on that, that I realized that even on this trip, I forgot to bring my tarot cards. And then you get that like, oh no, who am I? I'm not staying up with what I do. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a new phase I'm in. Like, let's ride this. You know, those cards are always going to be there. I'm always going to have that knowledge of how to use them. And I do believe with spiritual work, things filter in and out of your life when you need them and you don't even have to ask for it. It's like, if you're open to it, it kind of does its own thing. And astrology too, what I love about astrology is the knowledge, the little knowledge that I have of astrology and the grand scheme of how much knowledge you can have and the little knowledge I have of my birth chart and stuff. It just helps me understand myself more, you know, like learning that I have so much Gemini in my chart and why I do certain things and getting my birth chart read was really eye-opening. Even if I'm getting very personal, you know, I dated a lot and I loved dating and I loved being in relationships and I was very like always open and and a lot of people I feel would put a lot of shame on that. Like, don't you think you should just be single for a while or 
why don't you just try to make something work a little longer? And I always process things very quickly. And that's the way I learn. And even in my chart, I have a lot of planets in the fifth house, which is about like dating and play and this and that. And she was like, no, 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 that's, that's part of your learning. And I was like, I've always known that, but people around me always made me feel like I was doing something wrong. And I was like, wait, but I'm not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? Like there's always open communication. I'm enjoying and exploring life the way my soul needed to. And I think that's what astrology has done. It's like giving you a code to your life and your soul and going like, oh, this is mine. Just because they do it that way doesn't mean I do. This is how I'm meant to do things this lifetime. Mm, it's so important to look into your astrology, I think, to understand yourself deeper. And there's other things like the Enneagram, human design. There's so many different personality tests that you can do to really understand yourself. And I think for me, it's definitely helped me understand myself and go, ah, okay, that's why I do those things in that certain way, or that's why I'm driven in that area. And it's really interesting because we do need to accept who we are. And I think at a very young age, I tried to fit myself into a box of what I thought I should be or should sound like or should look like or should act like. And the older I get, the more I'm grounded in, well, this is who I am. And I love these little quirks about me. And I love that I'm super organized and that might upset some people and it might trigger some people. And if that's the case, then there's nothing I can do about that. Like I can't change who I am to fit your mold of what you want me to be. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. 100%. I think that is one of the things that's my favorite part of aging is the acceptance of self more and more. It's like you really do get to a place where you just learn to love yourself in a different way than you ever could in your 20s or in your teens. It's really liberating. A thousand percent. How has having a spiritual practice and doing personal development work helped your acting? You know what's so funny about that? I think that's why I had so much angst in my early 20s because I was scared to really delve into meditation and spiritual work because I ignorantly associated being a good actor with having a lot of angst to tap into for emotion. And I was like, if I start getting myself mentally healthy and I take care of myself, can I even act anymore? I rely on so much darkness. And what's crazy is it actually made me a better actor because then I had this emotional well that wasn't just sustained on darkness that will I tap into the darkness today or will I not? It's just this constant open vessel that can tap into any emotion so much easier than relying on anxiety or depression at the moment or something that happened in the past. So yeah, that really, really helped me a lot. It also helped me a lot in navigating the business being able to, if I felt uncomfortable about something, being able to sit and pray or meditate about the situation before being reactive. And I'm not saying I always get it right because Lord knows I don't, but it just gave me more of a grounding and also made me not need it as much, right? Like you feel so identified, especially when you're doing this career, you feel identified like, oh, I'm that girl on Chicago Med. What will I be if I'm not on the show anymore? I'm that girl that's an actor. What will I be if I take time off for myself? 
time off is not allowed. It's like, what? You're going to miss auditions? You're going to miss? And I was like, oh, I'm a person. It allowed me more space for me. Mm. How do you nourish and stay centered and grounded within yourself when you are doing long hours of filming? How do you stay centered and grounded? (laughs) A lot of laughter. I feel like that is my biggest weakness. And I feel so bad because it's not on purpose. But sometimes when I hit a certain hour, the giggles come out and it's, (laughs) it's not good. But I drink caffeine like literally once every six months, if that I try to stay away from that. So I rely on other people's energy to kind of keep me going when I'm feeling really tired and laughter really keeps me up. I try to like get in perspective of like what we're really doing. I'm like, okay, let's not take this so seriously. I know I'm exhausted. How are we going to get through this right now? And it just kind of like, I see everything differently and it gives me the giggles and it re-energizes me to like, what's not good is if I get the giggles in a scene that that's not good. (laughs) And that's happened way too many times, but I try not to let that happen. (laughs) Laughter is the best medicine there is. The best. The best. How has filming changed since COVID? Oh, it's changed a lot. I mean, the protocols have been so different. I mean, when I was doing med last year, we had to come in and test every morning. With the test up your nose, that one? Yeah, every morning. We had to wear our masks and then once rehearsal was done and they were about to roll, the actors could take off their masks, but we could only leave them off for 10 minutes at a time. So even if we were in the middle of a scene, we had to cut the scene to put our masks back on to like reset because I think the whole notion was the exposure time. But then I was like, but if we put it on for 10 seconds and then I take it off again, does that really like reset my exposure time? I'm really not sure. It's funny. I always think to myself when we look back at this time, we're definitely going to laugh at some of the things we did thinking we were keeping ourselves safe, but we're all kind of fumbling around in the dark. But yeah, it's changed in that sense for sure, where it kind of stinks because you can't connect with people as much because everybody on the crew and everything is masked up and you kind of have to stay away. So it makes it a little more transactional, which I don't like. But on the flip side of that, being the Gemini that I have so many flip sides, I love just reading a book and kind of doing my own thing in the corner. So COVID kind of gave me that situation a little more, but yeah, it's very different. And only recording for 10 minutes at a time, that would probably turn your 10 hour shoot days to double. Yeah. Well, what it did was we had to make the episodes a little bit smaller. We couldn't do as big scenes, as many big scenes that year because we had to cut all that down. And they actually needed us to stay more in our window of filming and not do overtime because of COVID. So yeah, it was just a totally different vibe. But then I had gone and done a couple other films and protocols were different over there. They were a little more lax and there wasn't that 10 minute rule for the thing. So I really have found, which is odd, I think every set is different. There's not like a universal rule. (laughs) Yeah, that's fascinating. Just a little insider scoop into what's going on in the film and TV industry right now. It's fascinating. Another thing that you are really passionate about is cruelty-free living and living a cruelty-free life. What does that mean for you and what does that look like? That means for me, and sometimes it's it's so funny, it's not, I was going to call it a sacrifice and it's not a sacrifice. I say sacrifice because I was like thinking about the cheese I ingested today and the reason I don't eat cheese is because I don't want to support the dairy industry, which is supporting the meat industry. So 
sometimes you, you make those sacrifices in order to live a cruelty-free life. And for me, it goes hand in hand with spirituality because whenever I feel like I ate in accordance to a cruelty-free life, I feel lighter. Like my soul feels lighter. I feel like I've done my part that makes me happy. And nothing I do in that regard is about health because Lord knows I am always trying to find like, what is the best vegan option I can make for Cinnabons? Or like, I just am always trying to find like the healthy version of the things that I, I love. And so it's even the way I shop. I don't buy leather. I try not to buy any animal products in the makeup I wear, the stuff I put in my hair, the stuff I put in my house. And then to me, it's now translated into even cruelty-free, not just for animals, but for the planet. Composting, gardening is my next venture, reusing things, reusing outfits, reusing anything I can, just making sure that if I put something in the trash, it's because I literally cannot use it for anything. So that stuff is just very important to me. To me, that makes me sleep better at night. It's so important. And it's those little things that we do every single day that make such a big difference, like composting. It's so simple and not using plastic, just things like that. They make such a huge difference. And all we have to do is do it each day. I have a few people that have said to me, oh, it's just me and I live by myself. And what difference am I going to make? And I'm like, you are the difference. You are the difference. And we all can make a difference. So, I love that you are out there championing that and doing your part. And you know what's so funny? Because I've had that talk with so many people about like, well, it's just me. What's the difference? And I'm like, okay, yes, everybody makes a difference. And if we all thought like that, nothing would get accomplished. But okay, if you're going to think like that, what am I? What am I a difference? Then don't even think about that. How are you feeding yourself? Not like your mouth, but like how are you feeding up yourself? Because I know... If I go around throwing away plastic bottles all day and I have a bunch of food waste and stuff, I feel like crap. I feel awful about it. You know what I mean? So make it selfish for a second. How is this feeding your mind and soul and body just living with no regard about the planet and other people and other things, you know? Mm, absolutely. And you also talk a lot about sustainable fashion. So tell us about how we can make more sustainable fashion choices because this is something that I'm really passionate about. I love hearing about companies that are doing it in a sustainable way and I love supporting those companies. So what are some things that we can look out for? Yeah, well, everything, <laughs> which is what's crazy. Like I almost, it's like a game to me and a lot of my friends and my boyfriend and family like lovingly make fun of me because it's like, I'm like, oh, I really want like a new sweatsuit or something. And I'll be like, ooh, let's Google and see what sustainable company is making. And it's crazy. We have this device and this Google at our fingertips. And all we have to do is type sustainable sweatpants. And I swear to you, like now it's so accessible, like 10 companies come up and I'm like, oh, and then it's like when you start following different sustainable, eco-friendly vegan clothing companies online, it's like, all of a sudden they start popping up in your feed and you're like, what are these shoes? What are that? And you have to be careful because I'm like, wait a second, I'm not trying to buy a new wardrobe here. But I try to explain to people, I'm like, even my phone case, I was like, I got to get a new phone case because I broke mine. And I went to Best Buy and I was looking at it and I was like, oh, how wasteful. I have to throw mine away. And I was like, 
I wonder if they make compostable phone cases. I Googled it. They do. And look how pretty it is. And I was like, wait a second. It's so easy. All you got to do is ask. You know what I mean? And I mess up a lot. I'll buy something in a moment that I'm like, oh shoot, I didn't check where that was made and this and that. I'm not perfect. I still have old stuff that's leather that I haven't gotten rid of yet because I didn't totally throw out my wardrobe. But it almost becomes like a fun game to find these things. It's like, ooh, what can I find today? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's each choice that we make. You say, put your money where your heart is. And every time we are handing over money, and I'm a big believer in not over-consuming. I think we over-consume products. We over-consume food. We are in an over-consuming culture. And if we just strip it back and really take a pause before we hand over our credit card and ask ourselves, do we really need this thing and will it bring me joy? If we just take a moment and slow down and not purchase like in that impulse, then we would probably halve our costs and we would probably make more mindful, conscious choices, which is so important. So important. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something that, you know, we look at landfill and I just cringe. I think, oh my goodness. And each decision that I make every day is impacting that for the better or for not. So really just come back to your heart, take a pause and have a conversation with yourself before you make any choices, any decisions to buy anything. Absolutely. And I always think too, like, don't be so hard on yourself. I get so many people that reach out to me and they're like, well, how do I find these companies? And I'll give them like a list of my favorite sustainable fashion companies. And well, how do I go vegan? I don't know. I'm overwhelmed. And I'm like, one step at a time. Like I'm definitely something that I'm very all or nothing. And then when I want something, I love jumping in and I want all the information today. I want it in my brain. I don't want to wait. So I get that. But really you have to like not beat yourself up. I really like a couple months ago, I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to like totally be vegan and I'm never going to go back on it this time. Like I'm never going to go back on it. I'm never eating dairy again. And then today I totally ate that. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't beat myself up. No. Just do better next time. You know what I mean? Like when you're trying your best and your intention's good, don't beat yourself up. And this striving for perfection and being perfect all the time, I think can really hold us back and work against us. Let go of this idea of perfection and let go of this idea of being perfect all the time and just in each moment, come back to the present moment and in each moment, make the best decision that you can for your health, for the environment, for the people around you. Just bring it back. And I talk a lot about this in my books is just deleting that word perfection and perfect from your vocabulary because it's only going to hold you back. And it's something that your inner mean girl grabs hold of and will run with. So we just need to let it go. Right. And it's so funny because it would go back to that talk to yourself the way you talk to somebody you love. If my girlfriend or my sister, my best friend, my sister came to me and said like, you know what? I'm so mad. I ate that soup. I ate that bread. I feel bloated. I feel gross. I'd be like, you're amazing and beautiful. You'll do better tomorrow. Who cares? Who cares? And so I was like, can you imagine if we spoke to ourselves that way? I was like, whatever. You're amazing. You're beautiful. Like you'll do better tomorrow. Enjoy. 
Could you imagine how different that would be for ourselves if we could just always speak to ourselves like that? That is everyone's homework. Everyone who is listening, that is your homework. I want you to speak to yourself like that and just go, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You'll do amazing tomorrow. Let it go. Yes. Yes. I'm going to make that my homework. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. You do a lot of work for women. You help so many people with your charities. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. I'm actually here right now in Rhode Island with Safe Bay. It's an organization that I'm on the board of directors and I've been working with them for five years. They've actually been around for six years now. I found them, I was watching this Netflix documentary called Audrey and Daisy, and it's about sexual assault. And I felt so much fire around me after I was done with that. I was so lit up. I was like, I have to be involved. This is this injustice. Like, And it also brought me back to my high school self. You know, I'm 37. I'm at the very end, really, of that generation that was told boys will be boys. It was just a bad date. Don't say anything. Just forget about it. Like, who cares? And I realized so many situations that I had been in high school that were not okay. After seeing that film, I said to myself, I will never meet another teenage kid again who will not get the knowledge and the support that I didn't get. And I looked these girls up from the film, the subjects of the film, And they were all sexually assaulted at 14. And they were, I think, like 18 when they started the organization. And I had my publicist reach out to them. And this woman, Shale, was helping these young teenage girls put together this organization. And I spoke to them. And I was in love with what they were doing. They have this amazing curriculum that is free and that they bring to any school that will allow it or any kid who wants it there. And the curriculum teaches kids about their rights, about policies that they don't even know that exist, that they can do policy change in their schools, about Title IX that gives them the right to not be harassed in any way in their school. And I didn't know about this stuff, even about just something even smaller, like bystander intervention. Bystander intervention, I always thought like, oh, what, if you see something happening, you have to go be aggressive and stop it. And it's like, No, you actually can just go up to the person who's uncomfortable and say, hey, you want to come to the bathroom with me? And that could change their whole life right there. And the work that they're doing is so incredible to the point where some schools are a little nervous about having this curriculum there. And some of the students want us there so bad that this student actually called us and said, look, our school won't allow us to have you come in. I'm going to rent a room in the library. Will you guys show up? And we said yes. And a little more than 30 kids showed up to the library from the school because they wanted this information so badly. And we've been going to schools today and working with these young kids and working with young women and, and young men. I mean, I know they feel so left out of this conversation and they are so important in this conversation. So important. And they also need that space because one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime as a child. So this is what drives me, really drives my career too sometimes because I'm like, I just want to work more and more. I want to build my platform so I can bring more attention to this. I love doing this work. How can we support Safe Bay? You can share about them. Go to their Instagram, share some of their stuff. I think the thing is, is that a lot of youth don't have access to this information because I think a lot of administrators come from that generation I was talking about where everything gets brushed under. And I think when it comes to kids and sexuality, they're terrified to approach the subject, but it needs to be talked about. So the more the kids know that this curriculum is there, 
and that they can sign up and all this knowledge is at their fingertips and that we're there to support them, the more this conversation will happen and the safer they can create spaces in their own schools. And so I just think getting the word out there. And what's great is that everyone except for me and Shale, we're the only like real adults. Everyone is 25 and under because we want all the videos and everything we put out to be in the language that kids relate to. You know, if we put it in our language, they're going to be like, adults are doing this. Like, we don't want to hear another adult telling us what we need to do. It's like high school kids are on our board of directors, like young kids, college kids. It is such a beautiful organization. And I just, I can't wait for it to grow more and more. I think by the end of tomorrow, we'll have registered 200 kids. Over 60 kids signed up yesterday just from two high schools. And we had 300 kids show up today at one high school. Like they're craving this information. It's so beautiful. Mm, And so important. So important. Mm, Well, thank you for doing that work. And we'll link to it in the show notes and check it out. It sounds amazing. Good on you. Thank you. What is your definition of success? And what do you attribute your success to? Uh, I think the definition of success is honestly finding simplicity in your life, being able to show up in love being able to show up in forgiveness and being able to be happy. Even some people who look happy on the outside, if you ask them, do you think you're happy every day? I guarantee you it's very hard to find somebody who thinks they're happy every day. And that to me is success because it is our fundamental right as humans to be happy. I know it's hard, but that's what I strive for is to find happiness and not feel like I need more. I need a different car or I want a lake house or I want this or I want that. It's like, no, can you be happy just here? That to me is success, dropping everything out, living a life through love and just being happy. Yeah, that real inner peace and contentment. Yes, the most difficult thing in the world sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I attribute that to... Honestly, a lot of the spiritual work I've done has taught me. I mean, I have an amazing family and I have amazing people I look up to and friends and my boyfriend. But what I learned is like, and I have to remind myself every day, they can't even provide me happiness. And I know a lot of them want to, you know, you love someone so much, you want to make them happy. And it's like, yeah, you make me happy, but I need to find that in myself. And then my relationships grow even richer. Yeah, I have always said you need to be the delicious chocolate cupcake all on your own and then your partner is just that cherry on top. You don't need the cherry, but the cherry's nice and it's fun and it's colorful, but you don't need it because you're already so delicious and vegan and gluten-free and amazing just on your own. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. I can't wait to tell my boyfriend tonight. I'll be like, babe, you're my cherry. He's like, huh? I love that. But, you know, I get asked a lot about this. I wrote another book called Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And so I talk a lot about deep love and soulmates and soulful relationships. And my husband and I get interviewed a lot together as well. And it's so important that you aren't looking to that other person to fulfill you and to make you happy and that you are doing that work yourself. You are filling yourself up and doing the internal work, whatever that looks like for you, and filling yourself up so that you have a deep level of peace and contentment within. And then anything outside of you is just 
sparkles. It's just the bonus, but you have this groundedness and contentment from deep within. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes, that is the goal. Really. I'm not sure if you're familiar with John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've had him on my podcast twice and he is incredible. And either he said this on one of the podcast episodes or it's in his book. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he said, it's my job to make myself happy. And then your partner, it's just that little bit extra happier. Like they're just that little sprinkle, but I'm already happy. I'm already happy, but you're that little bit extra on top. And that's always stuck with me anytime I've felt like having a tantrum like you did in the trailer that time to your mom. (laughs) Whenever I've felt like having a tantrum like that to my husband, like, you don't do this for me and you're not blah, blah, blah. I remember that quote and I'm like, it's not his job to make me happy. It's my job to make me happy. And he's the sparkle on top. Yeah, it's so true. And that for me has always translated into safety. I want to feel like I'm at home and this and that. And and I'm like, no, my home is me first. I need to make myself feel safe first. That is not his job. And what's ironic about that is he can do everything in his power to try to make me feel safe. But because I don't feel safe here, nothing. He could give me the Taj Mahal and I would still be like, it's not enough. You have to fill that for yourself because you'll just always feel like there's an itch you can't scratch. Yeah. Searching, searching, searching forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Mm. What's bringing you the most joy right now in your life? Honestly, what's bringing me the most joy right now is I've really taken time to just be at home and cook a lot. And like I said, I want to start gardening and I've been able to actually spend really good quality time with my boyfriend because I'm not filming at the moment. And I've never actually given myself that space before because I've always been afraid I was going to miss out on something in this industry. And giving myself that space to just be and read and cook and bake and just spend time with David at the end of the night. It has been so fulfilling and rewarding. And then I just went to New York and I have a four-year-old sister and I just went just to spend time with my dad and her. And then my, I saw my older sister too. And not because, oh, guys, I'm going to be there for press. So maybe these days we can hang out. And no, I went to be there and just be and actually like focus on family and love and myself and not worry about anything else. And it's been really fulfilling. Mm, so beautiful. What are you working on within yourself at the moment? forgiveness, which is so hard. (laughs) What's really crazy is I'm learning that in areas where you feel you can't forgive someone, it's normally because it's not even about them. It's where you feel you need to forgive them. You have guilt about something in yourself. And I was like, whoa, when somebody said that, I was like, oh my gosh. And then they also said, I was like, but I don't understand forgiveness. To me, does that just mean I feel like you wronged me? So I just say it's okay. That's it. That doesn't feel right. What's the difference between forgiveness and being a pushover or getting walked all over? That has been very hard for me in my life. And 
I was listening to a podcast and somebody had said that the word forgiveness was actually mistranslated when Jesus said it. And it actually is supposed to be translated into the word divorce or detachment. And I was like, oh my God. So it doesn't mean that you allow that behavior. You are divorcing yourself, detaching yourself from that situation that hurt you and realizing that only the love was real. This is actually not real. So I'm detaching myself from that and it's not coming back. And then you move on from love from there. And it's still a bit of a heady process for me and something I go in and out of. But, and my God, so much has come up. I've had days where I just am sobbing and I don't know why. And my boyfriend or my mom, if I talk to her, like, are you okay? I'm like, I actually think this is really good. (laughs) So yeah, forgiveness. Wow. That is such a powerful shift to look at it like divorce or, or even changing the words to letting go. Like it's not condoning what that person did. It's, I am choosing to separate from this or to let go or to divorce this situation because it's no longer serving me. It's not supporting me. It's holding me back. I feel like we hold on to things way longer than we need to. We hold on to relationships. We hold on to possessions. We hold on to belief systems, to all sorts of things. And the better that we can get at letting go, that is the gift. That's the gold. That's the art right there. And that's something that I'm working on every day. Like, let that go, Melissa. Let that go that someone looked at you that way, that you interpreted it like they are annoyed at you, or let go of that comment, or let go of something that I'm holding on to. Just let it go. Like, it does not serve you. Right. It does not. It does not. And that's the thing. And I think that the whole am I being a pushover thing, that really, I think, trips a lot of people up in forgiveness too. You know, it's like, well, if I let it go, am I being weak? And it's like, no, that is powerful. That is powerful. And I always joke, I say, oh, you you think you're so enlightened. You think you're so centered. Do you think you've forgiven? Go in traffic and be the victim of somebody's road rage and tell me you're still calm. That is always my barometer because I'll be like, rah! And I'm like, God, I have to start all over again. I'm nowhere near enlightenment. I can't even drive without like (laughs) wanting revenge. I was like, oh. Uh, That's a good indicator. Just go in traffic. (laughs) Right? The day I realized I could never get my buttons pushed in traffic is the day I will feel like I really am on to something good. <laughs> <laughs> or even another thing came to me, like missing one of your flights or something like that. Right. <laughs> totally. It's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, be that person. Be that person that's like, mm, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that's goals. Totally. Yes, goals. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, let's pretend you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. What is the one book you would choose? I would say A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. I love that book. And oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the second one. I see it in my head and I was like, this book needs to be in high schools. And if I had had this book, as a woman, oh my gosh, it's a game changer. Oh, you know what? 
I guess I was meant to only pick one because I can't remember the name of it now. And I was just talking about it like 10 minutes before I got on here with you. That's so crazy. It's all good. Maybe it's just A Return to Love, which was one of the very first spiritual books I read 11 years ago when I started on my journey. It was one of the very first, as well as A Course in Miracles. And I read Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. Those books were the first books I ever got my hands on. And I remember reading A Return to Love and light bulbs going off in my mind. And I was home, home. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Okay. I'll link to that in the show notes for anyone who hasn't read it because it's such a goodie. Yes. Such a good one. Okay. Let's talk about how your day looks. I know for you, no two days are ever probably the same, but do you have a morning routine? What are your little rituals? Talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life. Honestly, like you said, it does change every day. If I have nothing to do that day, I wake up and what always takes priority is the dogs. They will not wait for anything. So I wake up, I let the dogs out. And then if I can convince them, I go back into bed and they go back into their bed. And then they let me do my Course in Miracles of the day. If I have the time, I will meditate then, TM, 20 minutes. And then if I have the time, I love reading Louise Hay has this one a day book that I love. And my friend, Ian Harding, actually turned me onto this book called The Daily Stoic, which I love reading every day. And so I'll kind of pull those out too. If I don't have the time, I will just try to fit in Course in Miracles and my meditation. And if I'm really scrambling, sometimes I'll have to push my meditation later and just get my Course in Miracles in. And then if I'm just having like a great day with not a lot on the calendar, except maybe like calls here and there. I will get up. I don't drink cold water at all. So I always have like a pot of hot water on. I'll drink maybe rooibos tea or if I'm feeling like sassy, I'll go for a decaf coffee because I don't drink caffeine, but sometimes I love coffee. <laughs> I'll do that. And I love cinnamon and anything I do. And then I'll talk to my boyfriend. I'm like, you want breakfast? Are we eating in? We're eating out. And if we eat in, he loves pancakes. I make him pancakes. I make him eggs. And then I've really gotten into some vegan bacon, even though he's not vegetarian. So I'll make some vegan bacon. I'll make I'll make myself my gluten-free pancakes. And then if I have enough to share, I'll give him some of those or I'll make him regular pancakes because he doesn't care. <laughs> and then we got to go about our day and I'll try to do something active, whether it's going outside and working out or putting on an app, whatever it is. It's different now when, since COVID, I used to go places. And then I just do some work on the computer. I'll try to find recently. I love, like I said, trying to find a new recipe to try out. I've been baking so much, trying to find like vegan gluten-free recipes that are things that I love. And maybe I'll read a book. I've been in Florida a lot recently, so it's not been cold. So I love going outside with dogs. And then when David's finally done working with all his stuff, then we talk about it. And sometimes we like watching movies together or going to get dinner together is really exciting for us. And then also there's this book cafe that I love going to. It's my favorite. And I, I love book cafes. I am such a sucker for book cafes. So I'll go to the book cafe, look at all their books, go up, maybe sit down, do a little reading. And, and that, that's honestly like a perfect day. That's not my everyday because a lot of days I'm working and I can't do that like today, you know, running around talking to schools or on set. But if I'm not working, that's a perfect day for me. 
Mm, Beautiful. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Okay, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Oh, yes. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Be kind to yourself. Yes. What is one thing we can do for more wealth in our life, so more abundance in all areas of our life? Meditate, because I I feel like when you clear your mind like that, you open yourself up to be able to receive more. Absolutely. And what is one thing we can do for more love in our life? Mm, Give more love. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. This has been so beautiful. I have loved chatting with you. You are such a sweetheart. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think we hit a lot. <laughs> Nothing comes to mind. I'm, just, I'm still trying to think of that book. I can't believe I can't remember it. <laughs> if I do, I'll send you a message or something. Please do. And I want to thank you so much for not only your time today, but for all the incredible work that you're doing out there in the world. You are such a light for so many people. You're using your platform and your voice for so many great things. You're helping and you're serving and you're supporting so many people. So I want to know how I and the listeners can give back to you. How can we serve you today? Oh, wow. Honestly, share love with people. You know, I think the more love we give, the more it lights up the world and the more we all feel it. So give love and walk a little kinder today. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. You're such a sweetheart. Thank you. Lovely seeing you. Thank you, hun. Bye. What a sweetheart she is. I absolutely loved this conversation and have been reminded to not speak to myself poorly and to speak to myself like I would my best friend and to not be so hard on myself and to make sure every single purchase is coming from that place of love and asking myself if I really need it and will it bring me joy. And I also am reminded about the power of letting go. You know, we spoke about forgiveness and I think really honing your own skills to let go and to let go quickly is such a skill that will benefit you in all areas of your life. So I hope you loved this conversation as much as I did. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for them. And please come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me what you got from this episode. I truly love hearing from you. So please come and connect with me. And before I go, I want to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.